Courageous living. Uh, we, we started our series off a, a few weeks back. Uh, let's begin. Let's just look at Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so we began our new year. We took communion together on that first Sunday. It was January 1st. And we talked about in this year, let's really press in and focus on living on purpose for the Lord. Uh, discerning and discovering and reevaluating uh, what are the things that are of most value and what are the things that are highest priority, both from the Lord's perspective, uh, from the perspective of the responsibilities and, and just the stewardship of our lives, in light of what season of life we're in, because certain priorities will have different amounts of time and different focus and different ways we approach depending on what season that we're in, whether it's a spiritual season or a natural season. Season. And, you know, at the, the underlying uh, a wonderful, wonderful truth to all of this is God has incredible, incredible purpose and destiny that he's placed inside each and every one of us. Can you say amen? There's potential beyond what the most confident person in this room even dares to realize. That's what God has put on the inside. But for that to be realized and worked out and for us to live intentional and for us to not get in a ditch or distracted or, you, you, know, um, you, you, you know, going down the wrong road and all of that stuff, we have to be tremendously intentional and how many know to step into greater potential and greater walking out of God's purposes, it absolutely requires courage. Right? It's going to require us to be people of courage. Uh, just, you know, from the, from the perspective of uh, God will never leave us the same. You know, we just get things kind of like, all right, hey, I get kind of solid ground underneath me. And that's when the Lord says, step out onto the water. You know, we say, hey, this is a new summit. Like, I, I see spiritual fruit and I'm growing. And, hey, things that used to be going on, those things are getting worked out in my life. Like, yay, God. And God says, yep, awesome. Let's, there's a next summit. Let's go. Let's go on up. You know, we say, hey, that, I, I, I had some courage. I stepped out and did this. And the Lord said, that's right. Good job, son. Good job, daughter. Now let's go here. Right? It's, we're, we're, we're never done uh, as long as we have breath and we're on this earth. We're done uh, on that side of things when we see him face to face. So in this series, we began, and, and so we wanted to look at all things relating to, so how do we live a courageous life? How do we keep courage being the fuel that's driving us past any of the stuff that would hold us back? And we talked on the first week about facing fear and acknowledging that faith replaces fear. But just, just stepping outside of the comfort zone requires pressing past a fear barrier. There's always a fear barrier that we need to step over and move past whenever we're moving into the next thing in the Lord, in the natural, whatever area that the Lord is working in. Uh, and then we were challenged the next week from Pastor James to answer the call. And it takes courage to seek God's call. It takes courage to answer the call and, and to be faithful, to press into that and be intentional with that. And then last week, Pastor Ralph acknowledged uh, we're going to deal with discouragement along the way. 
there absolutely is going to be opportunity to be discouraged. And so we need to know how to overcome discouragement. So what I'm going to do, there's a couple more weeks of this series, but what I want to do for today is kind of change gears a little bit. And rather than looking at like, hey, here, here's a specific topic, uh, as you can see in your notes, I want to talk about some life lessons that we can learn from uh, one of the most courageous lives that we read about in the Bible, and that's King David. And so let's look at, uh, and, and before I give you the number, I don't want you to panic because I, I know when I usually do a three-point sermon, a lot of times the sermon goes like 45 minutes ago, you know, it's a little longer. So when I tell you that I have 10 life lessons, I don't want you to quake. <laughs> I love it. Amen. I'm getting cheered on. No, go for it, pastor. I love it. Amen. No, but like I, I want to give you a list. I want to give us... 10 wisdom points, uh, 10 opportunities for us to look at our lives and, and examine, do I live my life uh, in light of these lessons that David learned? And because he learned them, he was able to step into God's extraordinary for his life. Amen? Now, in order to do this, uh, we're going to start off, we're going to read uh, 54 verses together in the Bible. Now, if, if you don't want to follow along in the reading, I would even encourage you, close your eyes as we work through this. Try to put yourself in the scene of what this looked like. Try to you know, realize that this is history that has been captured for us that we're now going to take a look at. Try to, try to get your arms around what this scenario is as, it, as it's happening, all right? So, so I'm going to begin, I'm going to walk us through, and then, then on the other side of this, from this portion of Scripture, I just want to comment 10 areas, 10 life lessons that we can pull away today. All right, so let's start off in verse 1. It says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at uh, Ephes, Damim, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other, and there was a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. That's about nine foot, nine inches, uh, about three meters. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. In case you're wondering, 5,000 shekels, that's about 125 pounds, the armor that he was wearing. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. How many know that's his mistake right there? That's his fatal flaw. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, note this, this church, Saul and all the Israelites, they were dismayed and they were terrified. Now David, by the way, at this time, David's a teenager. David was the son of an uh, Ephrathite named 
Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Aminadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 days. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and take along these 10 cheeses. It's important to comment here. We are seeing the beginnings of the pizza. (laughs) Hallelujah. We have bread. We have cheese somewhere. The Lord's going to bring it full circle. There'll be tomato sauce and, and, and now we're on it. Take along these cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. How many know there's not a whole lot of fighting going on? Jesse didn't just know. They're, they're dismayed and they're full of fear. They're terrified. Goes on to say, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David is watching this thing go on. Remember we just said, David's a teenager. Now the Israelites uh, had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel and the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, wait, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? How many know already from what we read, David is thinking different than all of the Israel soldiers. He's thinking different than Saul. You know, Saul is the king. And back in in, in our Old Testament times, there were three people that had anointing from God. Only three. It was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so the king is like, this is great, I'll be in my tent, let's put a big reward together and hopefully somebody else will go out and fight him. And here David is saying, you know, wait, what happens if if this disgrace is moved from Israel? He, uh, He knows something's not right. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. How many know fear will respond back and lash out, right? Because he's part of the crew that's fleeing every time this happens. And, And now here's David saying, wait a minute, this is not right. And his brother burned with anger at him. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David says, what have I done? Can I even speak? 
How many know that's totally little brother response all the way? What have I done? Can I even just talk? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And uh, what David said was overheard and was reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. Think about the courage here. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, meaning himself, will go and fight him. Saul replied in unbelief, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth, from when he was a young man. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. See, there we see it. It wasn't conceit like his brother said. It was his trust of who God is and his understanding on who God has called his people to be. And he said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul's convinced. He said to David, go and the Lord be with you. But then notice, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Now, how many know when we read in scripture, Saul, when we're introduced to Saul, we're told that he's a really tall guy. You know, he's kind of like this, you know, like real kind of, you know, handsome, uh, you know, taller guy. And, and David's not that. David's, you know, on the shorter side, he's just a teenager. So just get this picture of Saul trying to put his weapons on him. Well, take the, take the king's stuff, take my stuff, and use this to go out and find him. David fastened on the sword over his tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. I ca cannot go in these, he said, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. No armor, just a sling and, and, and his stones and the five stones from the, from the river. Meanwhile, the, Philistines with his, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now just, here, here it is, here it is, here it is. Here it is, the Israelites have been dismayed and running in terror. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Amen. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I can't imagine what was going through Goliath's mind. Unbelievable that this, that this young man, you know, just, just barely older than a boy is talking this way to him. Such confidence and boldness and courage. And all those who are gathered here, actually I got ahead of that. Um, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear 
that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, courageous living for us to walk in the purposes of God, he wants the world to see there is a Savior who died and rose from the dead, and he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords, so that the whole world can know that's the truth and that he died for them. That he died for them. Amen. Amen. And so as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. How many know fear is contagious? Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of uh, Ekron. How many know that courage is contagious as well? When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And that, then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. Amen. Wow. What a picture. What a picture of courage, right? So let's now take the, the few minutes that we have, and let's just look at what are 10 life lessons for us to live a life of courage, walking on purpose in all of God's purposes. Number one, you must always be ready to face a giant. See, everything we're going to look at here this morning is understanding that courageous living is not meant to be something that comes on us from moment to moment. But that courageous living is something that's worked out in our lives behind the scenes. It's worked out in just the walking out of our days, our weeks, our months, and our years. Can you say amen? amen. And, and so, you know, in, in verse 20 there, early in the morning, David left the flock uh, in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Remember him? He was bringing almost pizza to his brothers. That was his job that day. He didn't get in the morning and say, all right, going to be fighting a giant today. Let's see, did I worship this week? Did I do my devotions? Um, you, you know, I have any unrepented sin in my life? I better, I better get right because I'm facing a giant today, right? That's not how it was. David, we're told in the word, was a man after God's own heart. We get insight into the way he lived in his Psalms. And we hear in the Psalms things like where he says, Lord, I just love your law. Your precepts, your ways, it's greater than honey on my lips. It's greater than the greatest treasure says, I, I, I think on it during the watches of the night. He, he said, early in the morning, my, my song rises to you, Lord. And so as he's going, going about his day, there's a giant that's going to be in his pathway, but he's ready to slay that giant. Amen? So we want to be ready in the moment. Number two, the enemy will constantly harass you until you do something about it. One of the greatest tools... Most common tools, maybe we'll put it that way, is uh, the enemy uh, trying to bring torment. You know, we know he is a tormentor. And so he won't back off 
you, you know, at any point unless we tell him to take a hike, unless we slay that giant. And I want you to hear me as we talk about slaying the giant. That giant could be as simple as God's plan for me scares me and I don't know if I can do it. And that giant comes out every morning and says, that's right, you can't do it. That's right, it's beyond you. That's right, it's bigger than you. If we, uh, the enemy will continually harass and try to stand in the path of God's plan unless we do something about it. Notice that's not the spot to say, Lord, take the enemy's voice away. Instead, the Lord says, no, you chase the enemy off. Amen? Come on, can you say amen? For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Number three, fear and worry never make a situation better. Come on, can we say a loud amen on that one? Fear and worry never make a situation better. You know, as I look at my finest moments, it's not been in moments of fear. You know, I shared with you uh, a couple of weeks back when, when I did my first solo uh, flying in an airplane. And in anxiety, I did not respond in some beautiful declaration to the Lord. I hummed the presidential march. <laughs> that was not my finest moment. That was definitely not my finest moment. You know, we can see, you know, uh, where people pull pranks, you know, where they'll put like a rubber mouse or a snake on the ground and you'll see, you know, hulking men scream high-pitched, you know, like their little daughter, you know, kind of a thing. Not our finest moment when we are taken by fear. And so we, we need to understand fear and worry are never going to make the situation better. Uh, so, you know, whenever the Israelites saw them, and remember, they, they fled in great fear and it says that they were full of terror and they were dismayed. When fear grips, we get dismayed, right? Disoriented, off of our game, confused. And the Lord tells us, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows what you need. Here it is in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I love the way that's worded. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you want to know what? His mercies are new every morning. You have mercy for today to handle today. But guess what? You don't have tomorrow's mercy yet. So he doesn't want you to be hanging out and worry about tomorrow. When you get up, I, 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 I word it this way sometimes. If you need five pounds of mercy today, you got five pounds. If you need 50 pounds of mercy tomorrow, you have 50 pounds of mercy tomorrow. But if we try to carry that today, we're trying to carry 55 pounds of, understand that in light, like wording it that way, we, we need to make the decision, I'm not going to be gripped by fear, I'm not going to be gripped by worry. And number four here, life lesson, is why we can make that true. David saw the problem in light of God's ability, not his own. Remember, David said here, you know, uh, who is this, you know, uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He realized what God had done, who Israel was, what their place was in the world, the authority that they had, 
And so he completely understood that God, I mean, God had taught them every step of the way that he'll go before them, that he'll deliver them, that he'll fight their battles. And so in that moment, it would be time to say, all right, God, bring a deliverance because it's you that they're coming against. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart uh, because your servant will go and fight. Verse 45, he boldly declares uh, his faith in God saying, the battle is the Lord's. So, hey, church, even when we're looking at impossible, even when we're looking at the bottom of the darkest valley, Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. There will be things in the natural that not only look impossible, but in the natural they are. But we can take cheer because God said, with God, all things are possible. So with men, things are impossible. With humans, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, so the goal is for us to say, hey, I'm not resting on my own strength. And that's that fight of faith. That's the battle that we have to step into to say, so I won't be given to fear. I won't be given to worry. I won't be anxious about this. All right, number five, David didn't allow his age or his stature to disqualify him. And you want to know what? Let's just pause there for a moment. Because there will be people who say to you, you can't do that, you're much too young. People will say to you, you can't do that, you're much too old. People will come and say to you, you can't do that, it's never been done before. People will come to you and say, you can't do that, you've never done that before. All of that is lie from the pit of hell. Can you say amen? David didn't allow his age. I mean, I mean, the king of Israel looks at him and says, hey, kid, what you want to do, you can't do. This guy's been fighting for longer. You, you know, you're just a kid, and he's been fighting since he's been a kid. And yet his response was, you know, I will despise that response. Again, not because David was cocky and, and so confident in himself. He knew God was his God, and he knew he was resting in God's ability. You know, we see in the New Testament, similar picture, First Timothy. Timothy is being encouraged by Paul, and uh, Timothy is, is a young man, uh, and he's a pastor, and it's quite an apostolic work that he's doing uh, as a pastor. This is, you know, book of Acts, and the, the gospel is exploding on the scene. And in uh, chapter 4 of First Timothy, verse 12, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So church family, whatever it is today where someone dares to look down on the, the purpose, the potential, the dream, uh, the mission that God has put on your heart, hear the Lord, hear Holy Spirit telling you, don't look, let anybody look down on you because they think you're not enough to do whatever God has called you to do. But instead, what do we do? We set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love in faith, and in purity. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That was cool today, right? Reading through 54 verses. You know, we normally don't do that, but just to kind of have a public reading of the Word and just making some comments, you know. Uh, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So that's cool. That's not even natural ability gift. That was, hey, Timothy, hands were laid on you and spiritual gifting was activated in your life. Don't neglect that. Stir that up. It's part of what we're going after with Kairos Nights, right? Amen? Amen. Number six, David's uh, success in his private life gave him confidence. And so I, I want you to pay attention as we're going through these 10 life lessons and 
be discerning what are the, maybe the top one or two that the Lord is really putting his finger on. You just feel like you just, you're impacted by that in particular. Make note of that because it's probably, you know, Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to focus on that as, as we leave service today. But I want to suggest that I think two that are essential uh, on this list of 10 that will kind of be uh, dominoes for the others. The first one is to recognize that it's all God's ability. And so that's God's part. We've got to make sure that that stays in our thinking, in our, in our lens, you know. But then there's this other part here too. There's God's part and there's our, our part. And our part is, what do I do in my private life so that I can walk out God's purposes and potential? How do I live my private life so that when the unexpected giant stands before me shouting out threats, I can run after that giant, you know, with that sling and stone ready, ready to take it down. And again, I leaned into it a little bit already, but you know, David's attitude, when did David become a man after God's own heart? It was in the fields, right? While he was shepherding sheep. It was there where he sat under that night sky. I mean, I've done that sometimes. There's a lot of trees around by my house. So sometimes uh, you, you might even catch me like on a Wednesday night when it's dark out. Like if the moon is full or if we can see a couple of stars, I'm just like walking out of the service and I'm like, that's awesome, God. You know how to make it. You know, I'm staring up at the sky. You know, I make sure I don't walk in the road that way, you know. But can you just imagine David laying there, you know, looking up at the stars and considering God's just magnificence. You know, thinking on God's word, this is where he developed this heart for, for his, his uh, God's precepts and God's ways. Became a man after God's own heart. And he stewarded everything that was put in his hands. You know, here he is a shepherd. You know, his brother's burning with anger against him. We're the warriors. We're the older ones. We're the ones respected. We're the heroes. You're just the dirty shepherd boy. Who do you think you are? But he didn't view it that way. He viewed it like, this is my job and my responsibility. And we know that he viewed it as a responsibility unto the Lord. Because when the lion came, he didn't say, uh, I don't get paid enough to fight lions. You know, sorry, bears, you know, are above minimum wage. You know, that kind of a thing. He didn't take that attitude, right, as he approached it. You know, one sheep got in the mouth of a, of a bear or a lion. And how many know, maybe, you know, did you notice where he said he struck it and when it turned on him, he, he grabbed it by the hair? That's a little too close for comfort, isn't it? You know, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, David in his wisdom looked at that sling, looked at that, those stones. And, and I'm thinking, you know, during the hours while, while the sheep are eating, you know, he's lining up Dr. Pepper cans, you know, or, or whatever he had at the time, you know, and he's taking a step back and he's starting and he learned how to use that. You know, the ability was the Lord's and the, the battle was the Lord's, but I can guarantee you, David was about as skilled as they come with that sling and stone. Amen? So, so our part is behind the scenes. It, I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about stewardship. Lord, the best I know how from my heart, I want to live out my walk with you. I want to steward the responsibilities, the opportunities that you have given me. And we know scripturally speaking, that is the doorway for God's promotion into the other things that he wants to bring us on into. How many are glad that he doesn't reveal it all at once? You know what he wants to do, right? I, I know, you know, we'd probably be overwhelmed. Again, not thinking God can do it, but saying, wait a minute, I, me? What? 
You know, but if we remember, okay, Lord, it's you, but I have a part to play in cooperating with you. And again, we see this in David, you know, saying, hey, I know God has called me to protect those sheep. And he was with me with the lion and, and with the bear. And I know covenant and I know what it is to walk with him. And my life is right with him. Therefore, I know when the giant comes, it's going down. Amen? Amen. All right. Come on, a little better amen than that. Amen. All right. Number seven, David stayed true to his shape and his gifting. All right, and again, you see the scripture reference there, but that's going back to when, you know, the armor was put on him. So, uh, you know, we want to learn principles and precepts and wisdom from others in the world around us. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to work, work our lives out based out of how God has wired and shaped us. You know, the, the success that we see in somebody else's walk with God or somebody else that's in pursuit of a direction that we're in, it isn't about their personality, you know, uh, or, or their, their uh, y- you know, how God has shaped that person. It's about having the right things in work in our lives regardless of what our shape is. And so here in the room, there's principles, you know, the, these 10 life lessons we're looking at, they have application for every one of us. But the way it unfolds and works out in our lives, we are all so, so uniquely made that it's going to unfold so differently because everyone in this room is a unique masterpiece that was knit together by God himself in your mother's womb. Amen? Amen? So, so we just, you know, uh, David stayed true to his shape, to his giftings, to what God had called him to, uh, took off Saul's armor. All right, number eight, David confronted the problem. Let's acknowledge here that's the next thing is when we realize there's a, there's a mountain, there's a, a giant, there's an issue. Uh, we, we don't want to say, well, let me ignore that for a while. We want to confront it. And notice that, you know, as, as the Philistine is trying to lean into him, Maybe bully and intimidate. What is David doing? He's running at the giant, running toward him. Amen. Number nine, David did his part and trusted the Lord to do the rest. So that kind of sums up that whole idea of it's God's ability and we live right behind the scenes. But ultimately his confidence came from I'm doing my best to know all I know to do and I'm trusting God. And how many know God will make it all work out. That's, that's, that's the recipe. And then number 10, life lesson, hey, he killed the giant. You know, we walk the other nine out and the giant falls down. Can you say amen? amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. All right. So, hey, uh, some next steps for us to look at as we wrap up here. And Pastor James, would you come forward and just do that anointed playing on the keyboard that you do? Amen. First thing, you know, and you can see these on your note sheet. You can take it away and think on some of these things as we leave. Um, But first and foremost, uh, is everybody here, is everybody here saved? Does everybody here, those watching online, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We talked about the giant's going to go down, but I got to have my life in order. Not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we have to have our life submitted to him. And the place where that starts is where we ask him into our lives to be Lord and Savior. We recognize what the Bible says, that we all sin, we all fall short, we all need a Savior. I can remember back uh, years ago in, in the To Hell and Back drama, Pastor Ralph was the angel and I was the pastor in the drama. It was an illustrated sermon and he gave a tour through hell. And he said something interesting that I never forgot. You know, he said, yep, uh, none of us get to heaven on our own. We all have sin. There's good sinners 
and there's bad sinners, but we're all sinners. Amen? We all need a Savior. And so I grew up in a denominational background where I believed in Jesus for 19 years. I believed in him, but I was running away from him for those last three up until I got saved. And it wasn't until I was 19 that I went from believing that he's real to saying, I need you to be captain of my life. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to now become Lord and Savior of my life. One of the things that we did in our Difference Maker seminar is we said, let's confirm the story. Do you know that you're saved? When did it happen? There might be some that are here today and you say, oh, don't worry, I've been going to grace and peace for a bunch of years. And that's good. I'm glad you're going to grace and peace for a bunch of years, but it's got to go beyond that. Can we remember, here is the day and I don't care if you remember the exact calendar day. I mean, here's the day. I know, I know of a pastor, you know, who said, I don't remember the day, but I was sitting in the park and I was reading a book by Billy Graham that talked about the gospel message. And at the end, there was an invitation to invite Christ into my heart. And on that day in October, in this year, I asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. So if you're here today and you're unsure about that, if there's anybody here that would say, well, I think I've done that. Why don't we make it sure? Why don't we make it sure? Maybe there's others that are here today and you're saying, you know what, I invited Christ in my heart years ago. Um, but, you know, this, this idea, if I was to face a giant tomorrow, I don't know that I'd have confidence because I'm not, I'm not allowing him to have lordship in my life. You know, there's, there's been a distance in that relationship and and I got to come back home. I got to make that right with him. Maybe again, you're watching online. It's the same thing. You're saying, yeah, there's been some distance. You know, he's not Lord and Savior in, in reality, in, in action in my life. And I need to rededicate my life to him today. I want to ask us to all stand up around this room. We're, we're going to pray in just a minute uh, as it relates to some of these steps that we can take wasn't going to go this direction, but I, I just feel specifically, so I'm just going to go with it. And I, I'd like to just invite every head bowed and every eye closed. And in, in just a minute, I'm going to lead us all out together corporately in a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of invitation to do what the Bible says. The Bible says if we confess him with our mouth as Lord and Savior, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. You know, that confession of him as Savior is a I'm surrendering sin. I realize I need a Savior. I believe you are who you said you are, and I'm, I'm, I'm calling you Lord of my life. The Bible says a miracle happens in that moment. The wages of our sin, because we're human beings, the wages is death. What is a wage? It's something you get paid for, right? The, the payment for our sin is death. Literally, what that's saying is we have earned death because of the sin problem in humanity. But God so loved the world that he gave his son. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. We don't fix ourselves. We don't earn it. It's a free gift that we receive by faith. And it's been given to every one of us, not because of what we've done or not done. It's been given to us because he loves us. And he just doesn't love us as a corporate bunch of human beings. He loves us individually. He even knows how many hairs are on our head. 
So it's possible here today that there is somebody who has never invited Christ to be Lord of your life. For me, it was in the summer of 1989 when I come home from my spring semester of school. I was 19 years old and I had watched my parents uh, just bloom as they were walking with God. I ran for three years and I watched them grow into Christ for those three years. And I came home and uh, pretty much had uh, between uh, drinking and partying and trying to be my own Lord uh, during those couple of years I was away at college, uh, came to a quick understanding, I need a savior. I came home realizing, yep, doing it my way and my own pride and arrogance, trying to call the shots. I don't have the wisdom. And I said to my mother at that, ta- uh, that day who had been praying, my dad had been praying, and I said, I need what you have. And my mom said, well, let's pray. You, you, you know what to do, because she had told me plenty of times <laughs> over those couple of years. And she led me in a prayer of salvation, and, and that, that was the day that my walk with God began. I don't have to doubt whether that happened because I can remember that. I just feel in my heart, and maybe even if you're just watching online and and we can't see you, I feel today is a day that some are going to be able to look back on and say, hey, January 29th, 2023, that was the day I said yes to Jesus and made him Lord of my life. Or perhaps for others, you're saying, you know, I've been a Christian for a while, but that was the day I rededicated my life and I've been going, living on purpose for him ever since. So with heads bowed and eyes closed and just believers all around the room praying, if, if you'd like to just acknowledge, I am inviting him in my heart for the first time or I am rededicating my life here this day. And I want you to let him know by just raising your hand nice and high and say, that's me. I am saying yes to Jesus today rededicating, giving it for the first time. Amen. That's wonderful. There's hands all over. Hallelujah. You know that heaven parties when, when one person says, I'm all in for God. Does anybody else want to join those who raise their hands? Maybe there's some today that are just feeling, uh, if you're, you're feeling like butterflies right now, that's the Lord working on your heart. You know that, right? Is there anybody else that didn't raise their hand that just wants to say, Lord, that's me. I'm surrendering to you today. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. Either for the first time or just to say, I'm really rededicating my life over to him. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Online, you can do it. Simple as wherever you are, just saying, Lord, that's me too. And you're right in on it as well. All right, so let me just lead us in a simple prayer of dedication, of surrender. And remember, as we just, it's a prayer of faith and the Lord does the work. So why don't we all together in this room, just affirming this, why don't we pray this together? Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and you died on the cross and you rose from the dead for my sin and for the sin of the world. And I recognize I need a Savior. I recognize you are the Savior. Forgive my sin. Be Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Amen. 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 Praise you, Lord. And now, Father, we just pray for these today whose hearts that you've been working on, 
whether it's been the first time or however many times, Lord, we thank you here now. You've met us. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch and fill each one. Lord, we pray that you'd cover and protect this beautiful work that you're doing in hearts. Lord, just around our room today, as we continue to look at living on purpose, living in priorities, being intentional with our lives, Lord, being delivered from the distraction and all the stuff that would pull us off track. Lord, help each and every one of this church family, each and every one of us, Lord, help us to live courageous lives. We thank you one more time, God, that you told us that you are the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We trust you. Lord, we trust you. Can you say that with me? Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my steps. I trust you with my days, God. So we say that we're yours. All of this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hey, just as we get ready to go, uh, if you look at those next steps that are on the sheet, there's some, some food for thought to make application out of these life lessons that you can take away with you. I encourage you to, to grab those.